Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Randy. And Randy grew up in a psychologically and sexually abusive household. It's a story about growing up in a complicit community and not being able to escape it, no matter how far you run. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of narcissistic abuse. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Randy, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and everyone on our Facebook support group. I want to say a big hello for being part of our Facebook support group as well. Also, we're pretty excited that we are now offering high-conflict parenting courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with an online parenting company, and many of the courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you've listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with high-conflict individuals in court, and he's now helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance and help when it comes to co-parenting and divorce, with high-conflict people, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Also, we have a new podcast called Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, which is now available for your listening pleasure. We talk with therapists, coaches, lawyers, etc. about narcissistic abuse and domestic abuse. And the people on that show, those therapists and coaches can be found at abusetherapy.org. That is our directory. If you want to support the show, go to abusetherapy.org if you are looking for a therapist or coach. And if we do not have someone in your area, please let us know and we'll help find someone for you. Using abusetherapy.org helps support the show. But do you know what else helps support the show? We have so many things that support the show these days. Our Patreon does. Yes, we started a Patreon. So if you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow-up episodes with former guests, just chit-chats with me and my old pal Melissa, join our Patreon. We'll be releasing new content on there every week. So to help support the show, become a patron of our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Narcissist Apocalypse. 
And we also started a YouTube channel where we do fun pop culture narcissist based videos. So if you want to go check out those videos, we'll leave the link for you in the description of the show. And now it is time for me to get out of my way and your way. Here is my conversation with Randy. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse. With me today, I have Randy. How are you, Randy? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I am good. And everyone out there, you are about to hear a story where Randy grew up in a dysfunctional home, but she also was part of a narcissistic community, a large community. So this is a story that you have never heard before. Um, So I'm uh, excited, but unfortunate that you are here, that you have to tell the story. But for other people that might have grown up in these situations, uh, this will be a good story for them to hear. And I'm rambling on right now, so I'm just going to get out of my way and your way, and the floor is now yours. Thank you very much for giving me the platform as far as being able to speak like this. And you're absolutely right. It is an unfortunate situation, but I would rather it be myself than than others and to speak out and to hopefully identify and connect and let people know that they're not alone in these situations. Um, as far as my own storyline, I was adopted into a family. It was through foster care. They fostered multiple children. Um, the way that they were doing this as far as the intent is that the parents presented themselves as good Christian families. Um, one was a, a assistant pastor as well as a deacon within the churches. That was always his role. The mother was a stay-at-home mom who owned a business as far as the daycare facility. So they had three biological children. They adopted two children. They fostered, uh, I, honestly, hundreds of kids that I know of. They've they've had multiples. And they also had family members that were in, within the ring of people that would also foster children. And what that would do was help as far as a cycle a value of cycle of children. So as they're bringing children into a daycare facility that's at a home residence, they're operational with a business in a neighborhood, looking the part of all the other good neighbors, playing the part less than a quarter of a mile from an elementary school, uh, a, a shopping mall complex in which all the children would go to. Uh, the father would facilitate himself as not only in the pastoral areas and everything like that, he was also a... Um, uh, men's manager of a large uh, corporate retail company in the United States. And so he had access to be able to take children to rooms if he wanted to, as far as dressing rooms and things like this. So it was very much so facilitated and the community was very certain of it. Um, it part of their targeting and how they would actually extort, if you will, or get their extra privileges during the time that uh, the, the value of what their abuses were is that there were other people, like I said, organized within it. So as children were coming into the foster care system, uh, just like the 1920s, we were made aware we all had billable hours. So as the orphans, and there were children all running all amok. Our government decided, hey, these kids have value to them because we can actually monetize them. We have billable hours. So we already knew in the 1920s that this was something that was already monetized. Our foster system has not changed greatly at all like that, just the value as far as the child and how much is actually forfeited over from the the taxpayers. So uh, what happens is that there's a real neglect as far as that's concerned. Our information is left open. It's left subject to any of these people. Foster care, unfortunately, does have a lot of abuses. There's some good things out of it. But what people don't don't understand is that 
you're not in this place of questioning like, like, hey, by the way, are you a pedophile? Are you a child molester? What's your intent of, you know, adopting this child? Yeah, people questions. They do psychological evaluations to a degree. But if a person has been able to maintain at least 20, 30, 40 years of their life like this, it's pretty understandable. They're well enough and sophisticated enough that they can really change the demeanor as far as what they want to project to people and want them to see. So in a narcissistic type of family dynamic, you're looking at those who are submissive. You're looking at kind of the patriarch. Uh, so you've got the the family members that are there who make the decisions um, and, and the way that the, the grooming is going to be done. Um, narcissistic intentions are implied as far as my situation were implied um, to be valued based on gender. So the, the men would be far more predominant um, as far as the end all say all type of things. Whereas the women were groomed to be far more submissive um, within the family dynamics, as far as uh, circumstances were concerned, most often if a woman is of uh, is is not of interest as far as being uh, involved with that kind of conditioning or being involved with a family member or somebody within the organization like that. They have a network of women uh, who come in and those women will try to change the mind of those people who are in disagreement to them. So women have certain roles to be subservient to them, but the men can call out responsibilities that typically, uh, like in the real world, so to speak, a counselor would come in or police would step in, whereas they actually have people who are within their networks who, who will come in and then start kind of that brainwashing process over. So there's, I've in my own situation, there's over six generations that are actually within this whole system and, and, and what's gone on with it. And that goes into our education systems, that goes into our uh, legal systems, it goes into civic, it goes into the political systems. Um, so many of the municipalities in just America alone, it's they're built off, off of nepotism. You have generations of people who may be sitting as a lawyer or as a judge three or four generations, five generations in. And they, once one judge retires, then another family member comes in and takes the seat who has the, the you know accredited value. They're more so looked on and valued like that, especially especially in rural areas because people know the names, people know the family, and of course they must be good people. So you were in a rural area, and obviously, if you were, you were segregated from the any any close population, whatever town was next to you. So no, uh-uh, no, that actually isn't the case. Okay, I was. When I say rural area, I'm meaning it's not New York, it's not okay. uh, it's not Chicago, it's not Kansas City. The rural area in which I was in was a population um, at minimum thirty thousand uh, as far as a school year. So it has a two A division university at it. They actually push out quite a few uh, football players that end up going to the NFL. That's part of that's part of the interest of invested interest as far as that community is concerned. People will put a lot uh, invested in that, even if it's good money or bad money. So um, this was something that, uh, like I said, this was, I wasn't segregated. I actually, I, you know, I took gymnastics, ballet, tap, jazz. I was in music. I was in all of the, the classes, all of the programs. I 
looked every single part as every single child. I was groomed to be exactly like every single one. I did not come from a space in which we were forced to wear, uh, you know, clothes down to our ankles and not show our skin. It was a very normal grooming, if you will, as to what the standards of social normalcy were. It was conditioned within religion and with spirituality, absolutely, as far as the abuses. But no, my programming, my grooming was with the intent to blend in. I call them chameleon kids. So if I need to go to the golf course and go hit out some balls, if I need to go to the tennis club, if I need to go out and hunt and show somebody that I can, you know, uh, clean a fish or clean a bird, all of those things were taught to us very, very, very early in life. And it was, it was odd because it, it's both with the understanding that people assume that you're living in this cave and they assume that you're living where you've got a bonnet on your head and every single piece of your skin, like I said, is is not showing, which that's not the case at all. I I was even groomed, so you understand this, within the faith and everything uh, in the denominations that were present and it being underlying Christian, but in a large capacity as far as multiple denominations, we were, we had women and girls who were groomed that uh, having sex, premarital sex was wrong, but to keep your man, even if you were a teenager, that you needed to do some things that would favor them. So the girls were being groomed that anal penetration wouldn't be defiant of God and God's will. And here you are programming these young women to think that they are just supposed to do this, like it or not, and that's how you keep a man. And then you've already started a subservient method, and and then they're saying, well, God loves me. I still am doing this, but my man loves me, and now God loves me, and it's all okay that's the kind of programming but yet we would go to school and we would all do our cheerleading the following day play volleyball play track and field look at each other laugh and yet we couldn't say these things in which were happening to us not only the abuses there but we were then mentally being conditioned to say that's what we have to deal with so just get over it deal with it and there again you've projected another formula of not only her mentality but narcissistic values that then are projected onto the people who are actually the victims now being the survivors who are now re-victimizing people who want to speak up about it so the group mentality the herd mentality years of people going through abuses family members not speaking out this has caused generations on generations to not only hold these secrets, but you also have to realize that people who are abusive, they evolve themselves. So to go and get into jobs, to go become a principal of a school, to uh, go get in civic responsibilities, this isn't unheard of. They still have goals, but you have to understand a narcissist will use all values of nepotism to such a degree that anybody who stands in their way, they're going to be a victim. So uh, I know you probably want me to get back into a focus, but there's so much, and I apologize because there's 40 years of all of this that I have inside of me. Um, so uh, getting back to uh, to the family unit and the dynamic of it, um, because of having the levels of abuses which were there, we were tortured a lot. Um, I have physical detriment to my body that are impairments for the rest of my life because of the levels of abuses. Um 
So because of um, seeing those things so early in life and witnessing those things, I've had to look at so much of this as when people are talking about environment versus genetics. I wasn't related to these people. I have no biological connection to them whatsoever. And yet I look at the family unit now and I look at the people in the community who are invested within them and within what's happened through the process of this. And it has been much easier for people to keep this hush-hush because I, I, I've come to find out that obviously there's more hands in a situation once it gets up to the legal standpoints, records are written, so on and so forth, but it seems to never you know, somehow either make it to the judges. Uh, when I've come in with lawyers and said, hey, we've got the right to be able to request these records. And it was paying $24 an hour sometimes for couriers to literally sit all day long. And the people at the courthouse being told, oh, just take them a box of this or that. Just keep them stringing along. Days in and days out where we would request records, any other place would give them to us just fine. But this particular area uh, has suppressed so much of it. And again, it's because this was not just a family. This is a network of people. Um, and, and it goes really far out. It goes across the entire nation. I've been one who survived nine different areas in which I can honestly remember as far as actual trafficking. And people want to explain to us that trafficking, you know, you're going into these destitute areas. Well, that's not the case. I was trafficked through extremely nice homes, multi-million dollar homes, multi-million dollar timeshares, multi-million dollar real estate, people who had religious, even to to this day, have religious programs that are airing on television, networks of people who literally will tell you, give to this charity, give to this fund, and yet they're the ones who are abusing us in the back room. So so when you were younger... Uh, and you you knew at this a certain point these things are wrong. What is going on is wrong. You were able to uh, think that uh, in your head and understand it. Are you able to talk to other children your age who uh, are on your side, or are you too afraid to? No. Um, and you mean adults as far as the people who had gone through the abuses with myself? No. Um, well, even when you're younger, are you able to communicate with them that these things are going on or are you guys just segregated from each other to even talk about it? There's different modes. Um, like, for instance, when it came to the pedophilia and, and it came to the acts as far as the abuses that were um, being valued in that respect, um, there we were spoken to in multiple languages. So the household that I was raised in, they spoke five different languages. Um, most of our conditioning, I didn't realize this, and this is this was this was something I actually just discovered about three years ago. I, I, advocates would ask me. You know, why in the world are you not, uh, you know, typically there's keywords, there's keywords, there's significant things. And I could, I just could not, for some reason, I could not just project, or I mean, not project, but I couldn't um, uh, pronounce what it was, but I could see the images, I could see the moments and everything else. And then all of a sudden, I had a phone call. I was actually at work. And this man had contacted me um, through my work, which I've got all sorts of people who, who speak with me. He actually, this was two days after. After this conversation, so I was very triggered immediately. But when he um, when he had said um, uh, good you know goodbye to me, he actually uh, had said Freulein. And when he said that at that moment, it actually triggered me. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh my gosh, that's why is because as a child, 
I didn't have any connectivity or understanding because that wasn't the native language that was taught to me from day one to present. So it was spoken only in specific times. When it came to the abuses, the grooming, the pedophilia and things like that, most often we were actually being spoken to in German. The commands were given to us more so um, as such. So as people were asking me, I would just tell them, I don't know like what you mean. Like It's not like somebody was coming up and like, hey, come here, I want to touch you. That's not how it was. We were left in the dark sometimes with just a flicker of a light for a split second, and then the abuses would happen. Then the lights would go out, and then something else would go on. Um, I can remember having my hands taped behind my back. I've got shoulder issues with my rotator cuffs, and I've had torn rotator cuffs and sports injuries and everything else, but far more susceptible because they would pick us up like cattle and take us from one point to the other and yank you extremely hard uh, spinal cord issues and everything else from the abuses that they've done nerve uh, nerve damage um, and a number of different things so when it comes to isolation, uh, it depended upon if it were the children from the daycare who were integrated with the children of the family. Those were isolated by it often being the number of children that were involved in the particular sequence of abuse that was happening. It would also be determined as to which adult or which older person, older child would be doing the abuses. So uh, a lot of times you might be in a space with two to four children. And then when it would be concentrated, there might be one or two that would be present in the direct room, but every single child would know that something was going on. You just hope that you weren't taken into that particular room or in that particular space. Um, and then as far as group abuses, when it came to the family type of stuff or isolated, I mean, the the parents that had raised me, they were, not to sound like lighthearted about this because I'm not in the least, but, but these pieces of, you know what, were so cavalier that they actually would put mats down for us to sleep at night and the the mother of this family would literally put a mat down next to her bedside in between her closets and the master bed of her and her husband and allow her children to come up and literally take assaults on me and the closest one in age to myself was seven years older six and a half years older than myself so as a three-year-old little girl and you've got people who are six and a half years older than you and then people all the way up to 11 years older 12 years older than yourself and you're looking at the people who are your parental units watching this and also contributing that was like uh, that was very intense to say the least because I have always looked at this as a child of adoption and talking to you as far as saying something about environment versus genetics and I can't imagine I can't imagine the level of person other than the people of who I've met and how I've survived them doing those kind of horrific things and yet all they were doing us were they were just buying us from the system, giving us our names, my social security information. I've never seen my my biological parents. I've never seen any of their um like their any of their uh, information as far as that was concerned it had all been hidden they had uh, hidden the records as far as that was concerned it's called sealing records which they erased my entire identity prior to even getting with them and the only reason I was even aware as to who I am and who I was and where I came from is because my mother had actually a really good name for herself had had popularity she had been in the music industry she had been one of the backup singers for Leonard Skinnerd, and so by default people knew who she was and it didn't take but a second for 
those people who knew her to then meet me years later and say, God, you remind me of so-and-so and and you remind me of so-and-so come to find out it ended up being that that woman was my mother. And so uh, I also then grew up underneath that with a family kind of with a status because that mother was told to myself and the community that she jumped off of the main university, this 2A division school, and it was always said that she had committed suicide off of it and come to find out through the years there were, I'm not even kidding you, hundreds of people who came out of the woodwork as I was kind of posting some of this stuff a few years back off of um, some social media sites. And these people were like, oh my God, honey, I didn't realize that was your mother, by the way. And then all of a sudden they start divulging to me. She used to speak out about them being a cult. She would speak out them about being pedophiles, child molesters, all this stuff. This is how this happened. So there had been a, an embedded history that had already been present to the area pornography, uh, sexual abuses, things like that. There was a time back in the 70s that I believe it was Hustle Magazine. And excuse me real quick on that. Don't quote me on that particular magazine, but it's either Hustler Magazine or Playboy. I I, I can talk to some of the um, the older people who remembered this. Um, but in the 70s, there was a, a guy out of the sheriff's department who was actually underneath the, um, and I know it sounds like I'm getting sidetracked, but it has relevance, but his father was a pastor in the area who, who held responsibility to a large congregation. This kid was a sheriff, and he would actually take inmates, female inmates, in to the cells of the male inmates and have them perform sexual acts. Well, this is when they were doing Polaroid cameras. So his picture actually ended up making it in, and it was featured. So there were people who actually tried to get this magazine, everything else. It's been archived, and they were told that – and these were a couple of people that had been working on this, but they were told that they would have to pay a certain amount in order to be able to get that information um, where they would send something to them as far as validations on it. So what that comes to be is, again, narcissistic values, obviously there, but in the area when it's rural, when it's small, things like that, um, there's a lot of people who can be subjected to a lot of abuses, and you've got the one who's got the money, who makes the rules, who makes the gold, and those people and their crew with the right names get the privileges, and the others just have to suffer and either be witnesses and hope that they don't get hurt or keep their and keep their mouth shut, uh, so to speak. Like, for instance... There's a movie right now that's getting ready to be released for Sundance Film Festival, and it was actually in the Midwest, and they're talking about how an entire city saw a man murdered, and yet nobody knows the nobody knows anything at all about it, you know? And that's how we are groomed and conditioned. We're, we're multiple generations that are like this. If you do speak out, you actually get shunned, you get made fun of, you get bullied, and the school systems and the teachers and the educators actually go right along with it because they're not going to say anything because they don't want to lose their jobs. Most of these areas are destination states, destination areas. If you can't find a job, you keep your mouth shut with what you've got. And that's what a lot of people in this nation and in this world, they just, they don't understand that that actually does exist. Like they don't think, they're like, no, there's the ACLU, there's human rights, there's this and that. I promise to God, I've spoken to all of them. There's not protections yet for us. So just uh, it's just it's a it's a lot. I don't mean to get sidetracked and, and misfocused for you. But like I said, you may have 
you have to reel, reel me in time to time. But getting back to, to, to what I was trying to explain to you as far as the methodology of this, when those Polaroid pictures were being taken, when those guys were like, wow, I can't believe it. We, we ended up getting in this big magazine and everything else is funny. One of the larger contributors, and I'm going to – I've got to be careful as to how I say this, but – one of the largest contributors who had to do with the entertainment industry all the way out to what we call our Hollywood platforms and investors, so on and so forth. He was a contributor, but he, in a lot of these ways, making some of the most infamous CD uh, films that were there by finance. In that dark background in history, there are skeletons that are there that go, like I said, into large stream media and they go into areas as far as the Hollywood, everything else. This isn't something that was just, uh, like I said, random. This was with – there's gentlemen who have been in these organizations for quite some time. Um, I can remember uh, thinking to myself like, you know – questioning in the recent years, like, why would I always remember these Polaroid pictures? Why would I always remember it? Well, then I started actually putting more together. I started talking to some of the kids, kind of going back on your questioning that you had asked me earlier. I started talking to some of the kids who are now adults and putting inquiry into them. And, uh, and they started remembering some of the things as well as I did. So what we came to discover is that the Polaroid cameras were actually used for us to do the pedophilia, the pictures, and all of this other stuff. And then through the churches, when the pastors would come up and go serve in different areas, which is a, it's just a pastorship when they say, hey, can you fill in for me, or this guy's sick, or however, in those organizations, they were the internet. So they would take these books of multiple Polaroid pictures, they would go to the following church in which they already had this constructed. Now, it's not because it's the church, nor is it because it's the denomination. Nomination. These are groups of people associated underneath it. That's just how they kind of hide themselves in it. And they were taking those books, um, and that's how the exchange of information was there. So uh, for a person like myself, you know, by the time I was in my teenage years and, and really getting into your answers and questions there, yes, I did talk to friends about it. Um, friends who were not part of the daycare, uh, people who were not you know, directly in assaults with me, but people who were just friends, they knew that a lot of them knew that there were some sort of abuses at home, but I was really good at, at being able to hide that. Again, I was a child who could do what was needed as far as, you know, from philanthropy to debate class, to forensics, to sports and athletics, to theater, to music. I mean, I, I, we were groomed really well and conditioned really well, well to take high pressure situations because of the level of, of, of abuses that we were having at home and we were groomed to play the part and look just as normal as other children. Um, most of my understanding as far as social interaction wasn't necessarily based as far as what I was doing at home, but more so what I was seeing on television and then learning how to apply those applications in normal society, like how to act or react to other children. Um, and I still suffer from things like that uh, as far as in adulthood and trying to um, 
you know, you have to be conscientious about it because you can be uh, trauma bonding. You can be, and that's where the module of the narcissistic family in those units, that's where that comes in is that the trauma bonding is so crucial and critical to how you are able to brainwash the child, how you are able to brainwash the situation. And in all fairness, we've got a large mass of society that literally sits with Stockholm syndrome. And yet the excuses in the areas of this, of this neglect of education and, and awareness and knowledge literally comes down to simple sayings like, well, that's just how he was raised. You know, that's just how it, it, people are sometimes. Boys will be boys. And yet those cliches have actually fostered the negatives, and that's also helped encourage that level of narcissistic abuse. So it's not hard at all for a family unit. Uh, people think that you, you know, people really do think that it would be harder to do in that respect. But you also, if you stand out from that family unit, you're also getting targeted. You're often called the black sheep. Um, I've had defamation of character, slander. I've had uh, identity thefts. I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not a joke in the least bit. Um, I have lost multiple businesses through the process of it. Um, so, I have people so, attack me from that. So as Go far ahead, as um, you leaving the home, how difficult was it for you to eventually leave? And w- how did you deal with um, the psychological and physical abuse uh, and sexual abuse that had had happened to move on, and then what was also the aftermath of leaving and um, the way you were treated after that and uh, your dealings with the community as well as trying to tell everyone, I assume, what was going on? Yeah. Um, well, um Give me the first question that you I, just I guess asked. Like, uh, how difficult was it to event to leave? How to kind of did it go about? It's not, um, well, yeah, honestly, in, uh, you're going to find this maybe a, a little bit hard to understand, but I'm going to try my best to explain it because it is a little bit. It's a little bit of a mind bender. So I didn't ever leave, so to speak, because they were always able to find me. Like for right now, for instance, I have, there's one of them who is in the direct family who would be considered a a sibling. He works for an auto shop, a car dealership. And so they send out these flyers all the time to drum up business and to try to get clients in and this, that, and whatever else. Well, they're intentionally sending me information that has his writing, the name of the company on it and everything else. And yet I don't, I don't live anywhere near them. I haven't purchased a car from them. There's no reason I should be on their mailing list, so on and so forth. So to come at me through something like that, that happens all the time to me. I've been so used to this, it's not even funny. I lived in one state where they publish your your driver's license, your political party, your ethnicity, your hair color, and everything. In the United States, they publish this information without asking you, saying that they have the right to do it. Well, I can tell you this much. When a place does something like that and they concentrate on the fact of what political party you're in, and I'm sure you could probably, honestly, by me just saying that, I'm sure you could probably figure out what state it was when they like to take a lot of muscle in and scare people and use a lot of tactics to help scare people as far as the political times. They also in that state have no taxes that are required for the state because they have such a high tourist rate that they don't require it. It's one of the places that guess who just moved to because of these reasons and tax exemplary type of non-exemplary behavior. And then you've also got the fact that these places, they publish this out loud. So when they publish it out for, and say, Freedom of Information Act on it, and they're publishing your political party, again, your address, what color your eyes are, what color your hair is, your weight, 
this information and, and your ethnicity behind it, nobody needs to know that information, period, unless I want them to have it. And that causes assaults on people. So it causes the tracking and targeting to happen even more. So when I got out, so to speak, I was never in. My first recognition of accepting what I had gone through and uh, of understanding where my abuse started was actually on my third birthday. And the reason why I remember it and the reason why it stands out so profoundly is that I was in my birthday dress and the mother and the other family members were upstairs and our abuses happened a lot downstairs in, in one of one particular sociopath and psychotic, I mean, this, this guy's a tyrant. But anyway, um, it would happen a lot in his room. And he had, um, he had been abusing me. And of course, through the process of abuse, one of his favorite things to do was if he would put his manhood on us to make sure that we felt really just, just completely thrashed at three years old. I don't know how else to explain it. And so this man ends up doing his deed on me, a 17-year-old boy, and he ends up doing his deed on me. And um, uh, or I'm sorry, at this time he was 15. And um, he has a, another 17-year-old boy, and they're doing this. And as I go upstairs after they've abused me, I'm crying, not because he abused me, but I'm crying because he got his yucky on my dress. And so when I went to the mother to... And I was crying. Um, and I looked at her and I said, um, and I just held my, my dress out. And she yanked me by my shoulder. And she said to another child who was a foster kid, but she they had her, she's there in, like an indentured servant. She's been there the entire time, has mental health issues and learning disabilities and stuff. So they really utilize her from that perspective of abuses. But she yanked me and she said, so-and-so, go take her. She got dirty again. Look at her, that filthy little mess. And in that process right there, I don't know how to explain it to you. I knew what level of woman or mother or person that I was dealing with. With the father, I didn't experience that level of of understanding to let go of respect and not have any value to him until I was six years old and the way that I witnessed and how that came to me is watching him slap what would be a sister in the family, slap her down a flight of steps because she wanted to go to a high school dance. So the mother side hit at three years old and knowing the levels of evil of what that kind of human being was going to be to me. The man wasn't presented to me as far as that demeanor of person and losing respect because I wasn't in a place of respect in the first place. I was actually in a place of fear. Um, and I think that's where a lot of children, um, that's where they are disassociating right there in that in that space. So, um, I, and I kind of got sidetracked, but what I was trying to get at is that, um, I guess, uh, you know, I guess in, in, in understanding the environment versus the genetic sides of it is that narcissism, there is something that I truly do believe that has a genetic value to it. There is a disposition uh, that, that somehow it's presented. And then if you groom that and foster that and you can take that and put it to the advantages, you've got an entire family unit that will 
tell everybody else, hey, the one who got away is the one who's crazy. And yet the one who gets away, we don't really get away. You know, I've never, honest to God, I've never gotten away. What's happened is I didn't, I didn't just leave them and get away. There's no, hey, come into this. You have a place of sovereignty. You have a place to be safe. You have a place you can live and work and people will be watching over you and make sure that if anything happens, we can legally take efforts to prosecute. That's not how it works at all. My escape, if you will, came at 17 years old and I, at 16 years old, on the day of my birthday in the, in the U.S., you can start working with taxable income. I was working prior to that, um, making money. You're not supposed to, in theory, but people do, like, you know, chores. They'll go mow a lawn, and people consider that. They don't consider it child labor if a child does it by choice, but when you're forced to do it <laughs> and then pay your money to other people, that is child slavery. But they get away with it here like that because, you know, they just make it look like the norm. But anyway, so I was working before that, but at 16 – when I realized, hey, they can't touch me because now it's going to be on federal books and I'm going to have to put in taxes, I went and got a job the day of my birthday and I stayed working with that company for seven years. I worked there until I was 17 years old to going on to my 18th birthday. I couldn't – emancipation wasn't something that was talked about. It wasn't something if you went to report, your families weren't the ones in question. The child was the one in question. Why are they unruly? Why is this such a rebellious child? Why this, that, and whatever else? Because, again, the family, you've got two parental units, you've got siblings, you've got grandparents, you've got all of these people who are in a position to orchestrate what they need, and it's easier to push the one out who's being the squeaky will. So I would be projected as being the problem child, but yet you go back in the education system and you look, and that was actually a total contradiction as to what it was even being said. Um, and then when you when you look at uh, of saying, you know, how would you get out of it? Well, the only thing I knew to do is I've got to have money. That's the only thing. I, I've got to have a place over my head. I've got to have food in my tummy. And somehow I already knew to do that. So by 16, started working for the company right before my 18th birthday. Um, I had gone out, gotten an apartment um, with another friend and uh, started making that transition as far as moving out. And the family would stay very close to me, but would never come over to the house. Like I would find them driving past the house all the time. At the time, there were still open communications, um, but very rarely would we communicate unless they needed something from me or they wanted to me wanted me to be involved with something that uh, was kind of like family based. By 18 years old, I was getting away from them, uh, from that. And then soon thereafter, uh, a medical situation had happened. Um, I was never close to the, the family members at all in the least bit. Like I wouldn't, I'm not the person who would call up and be like, Hey mom, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. That it never would have happened. Same thing with the father. Um, and a medical situation had happened, and it caused me to have to come back from another state. At the time, I wasn't honestly – like this has been 20-plus years ago, so we didn't have a real understanding as far as narcissistic abuse. Like abuse was literally your dad drinks too much and you know, and your mom goes out and drinks too much and sleeps with guys. Like that was – that literally for as crass as that sounds, that was like the level of what most – you know, childhood traumas were. So I just had been so conditioned already because my levels of abuse has far exceeded what most people, even 
now even understand. But uh, once I got out of uh, the situation, I came back and I had had a medical circumstance that put me back into a place of needing shelter. So I returned back to the family and to their household. Um, soon thereafter is when I then realized that they were starting to groom the grandchildren and um, they were grooming the grandchildren to take the abuses on within the household dynamics of the babysitting facility and within the respect of the family itself. So when I witnessed that, I brought it up to the family um, and within, gosh, within probably 15 minutes, there were 20 people over at the house um, threatening me, telling me that they were going to pray over me, um, telling me that I'm going to ruin and destroy families, telling me that if I don't keep my mouth shut and quiet, that there's going to be bad things that happen to me. And so what in turn happened is it was an extreme intimidation, but it was also shunning. So if I would then start going out to the you know, do grocery shopping, or if I just started trying to kind of make my way into conversations or would be out at a restaurant, all of a sudden somebody would come up to me. And people sometimes I didn't even know, like I might know their faces, they were older, like parents age type of thing, but I wouldn't know their names. And they would come and ask me very specific and detailed questions. But like, I would never understand why I should have known the answer, but sometimes I actually did. So, um, that that wasn't ever like I ever felt like, did you ever get away from him? Like I've had six hit and runs nationally. I literally can travel this entire country and know at least three to five people in the state. I am that person that I'm not, I'm not even kidding you, truly is the six degrees of separation. I, I can connect like that very quickly. It's profound for people, but I've been able to do that since childhood. So when it comes to, understanding, okay, well, uh, did you get away from them? Well, do you consider me getting away from them because they're not physically hurting me? Or do you consider getting away from them because they're just not putting cyber attacks on or financial attacks or they're not doing hackings or they're not doing identity theft? Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, I guess in this process, you've been trying, I assume at a certain point, you're trying to live your life and they're still, and they're still interfering. So, um, how are they still interfering? How long, I guess this has gone on since you've, uh, physically left their home. And, um, as far as your mental well-being, do you go see anyone for any of this to deal with all the traumas that have uh, happened? No. Um, to clarify real quick here. Okay. So my, my unit itself, there are five siblings altogether. I was the youngest that was adopted into the family and the youngest that's in the dynamics of the family unit. So the eldest sibling is 11 and a half years older than I am. I also have one that's a foster who's 15 years older than I am. And the the parents were actually what my mother would have been in her age is to where most of my friends that I had been going to school with, they were still another 10, 15 years over them. So um, old money has a lot to do with this. And I've spoken about the upper echelon as far as that's concerned and not to get sidetracked here because, like I said, I know I can. But, like, for instance, I was groomed at three, four years old to start learning how to read Masonic coding. And I don't know – I still to this day don't know why some of the information in which the father had – 
programmed me with is information that's not only relative then, but also information that's relative on a much larger scale and a grander scale. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist in the least bit. Like I said, I was raised in a household that they spoke five different languages. So you do understand that level of intelligence is a little bit above the curve when we're talking to your standards. He's the father in the family has uh, responsibilities and connections like he, in the in the sense of people appointing him to do certain things and he has certain jobs that they call out. They would call him the night watchman's uh, clan has different different names and terms to him. So you've got grand wizards, you've got night watchmen. And when it comes to Masonic, you have a, a thing that's called the court of jesters. What the court of jesters is, is and you'll have to maybe dig really hard if you really want to research this and understand it. But the court of jesters is, is essentially a false value as to what we want to project and make it look like, you know, there's going to be something handled about this. But the reality of it is, is that the paperwork gets lost, the information gets shuffled around, people get suppressed, you know, testimonies and so on and so forth. So it's literally just to be the eye candy as if something's going to be done and handled responsibly. But the reality of it is, is that none of that actually goes through full value process. And that's been handled within secret organizations and things like that for a long time. Like I can't, I know that sounds so weird. I can't even tell you how many times I've been approached by Illuminati and anonymous and everything else. So, um, and it's because of some of the words and some of the things I say, I know my phrasing is not the same as a lot of people, but I don't know what to do with this because when I try to take this into a certain value, the upper echelon usually has a tendency to stuff and suppress this information because that's where you get name associations. That's where you get connectivity. And I grew up in an area getting into, again, back in the 1920s and talking about the upper echelon. Uh, Carnegie was one of our major donators as far as our library is concerned. So we already knew a long time ago to start hiding and suppressing monies through philanthropy, through religious faith, so on and so forth. Those are just tactics that were manifested a long time ago with different methods of business, but it's actually been formulated as to how much our trafficking and everything else is going on right now. Um, so I just wanted to, uh, and the pedophilia and the, and the child abuses and things like that. So I just wanted to bring that up. That's uh, like, for instance, they forget about the kids who are, and I don't want to sound like silly here, but our society doesn't know about the kids who are actually the privileged kids, maybe economically speaking, but we're certainly not privileged with what we have to go through. Just because I know how to post and ride on a horse and I can ride a Tennessee, you know, saddle in a racing club or I can sit there and, you know, throw a javelin 150 feet and have been Olympically trained and everything and groomed to do these things, that doesn't mean that we're sitting with anybody there assisting us. We don't have services. I, myself, as a grown woman, if I had a man who was being abusive to me, you realize I could go get a restraining order on him. But because I'm a child who spoke out against people doing this, an entire community knows this. This is in fact on books, on the records, yet the nepotism allowed them to ignore it, which caused multiple states to then suffer because of the behaviors that then came from all of this. And it's countless people who have been abused and hurt from them. And yet nobody wants to take responsibility because as we put all of that together, it leads back to one point of origin, which means a lot of families have to start answering as to why this happened as it did. And that's why I'm a target. I'm not a target because uh, I escaped him. 
because I haven't actually escaped them. I will never feel confident in escaping them until somebody says, please come with us. Let's offer you sovereignty. Let's offer you a safe place. And what I've had to do, getting into kind of your next uh, questioning there, is that the only way for me to feel protection is I have to do a name change. Well, it took me five years where I am to be able to search the value of an of an actual lawyer who can practice this kind of law because they don't have a lot of people who do this. I spoke to the lawyer who actually did the Sandusky trials in Pennsylvania when the football coach was abusing the boys and molesting them. He wanted so badly. I spoke to him for two and a half hours, which is a lot of time for a lawyer. And I spoke to him, and he said, I would love more than anything to be able to do something with us, and here's where the problem's going to lie, is that they they did not take these records. They did not take them appropriately when the process should have been handled, and they didn't place criminal charges on this person. And when it started with a person, that actually opened an entire network of probably well of 500 people they could have gone in at that time, but they chose not to do it. So when they chose not to do it, when we use something like the Freedom of Information Act and try to go in and simply get testimonies, all they do is give us the runaround. They do not have to provide the records in this particular state in which the point of origin is, does not have FBI, which means they have no one to report to until it goes up to the upper state law and legal services. And therefore, if we need to get information like this, it requires there to be a federal subpoena. So that's why they've been able to get away with it as they have. And what a lot of people don't understand when it comes into the networking and the pedophilia, the child trafficking, uh, these things that are happening like this, the the homeland, if you will, or the, the, the point of origin, if you will, where this stems from actually does lie within the particular states that don't have those federal guidelines and responsibilities because at the end of the day, they can actually suppress this because they have no legal responsibility. So... On a much larger end of things, this has caused a disruption. When I t- It shouldn't matter, in other words, uh, to be quite candid, it shouldn't matter if I'm speaking to you in my sister country that I, person myself, I would run to. I, uh, you know, I, we, we were taught a long time ago, uh-oh, don't take their blankets, run. And I know that sounds silly, but this is truth. When, when you come from that level, I mean, I've been doing – you know, that's been something that is still no matter what, that is part of our culture when we see what's going on. And there's a lot of people who have come up as far as native sites and indigenous sites who are feeling almost a flashback from it. So when we've got that level of understanding of what's going on then and now, like I said, I see uh, I, I don't see where people say, like, for instance, I don't want to say that I ever get jealous. I get more so heartbroken when I see people say, oh, well, once I got away from my victimizer, once I got away from my narcissist, you know, life was so much better. Well, what do you do when you can't get away from these people and they're so deeply embedded that literally they've got your social security number, they've got your passport identity information, they can call and change my own billing systems and cycles. I can't even have an address where I actually live because I have to hide underneath all of this stuff and live like the criminal. 
And our justice system literally does not protect any of us from this. Again, like I said, if I were a woman and a man were coming after me, I could say, please, I called you so many times. Eventually, the judge is going to say, let's get a restraining order. But yet I report on you. I give the information. It's actually acknowledged. And then the people who have the records are able to manipulate it all the way to the point that they actually deny their own statute of limitations and laws that are written on the books. I even, like I said in that information I gave you, these are people who are so invested and embedded. You do understand when I talk about the upper echelon, if they want a person to come and work in their legal system or in their civic systems, you do understand they're not vetted because of the fact that they're quality for the work. They're vetted most often because they come from the alma mater as to where the other ones were groomed from. And because that system works for them, that's what they stay with. So as 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 far as is is. As you go, do you, oh, besides being on the show, do you openly talk about this stuff still? As much as I can. And so so what has been going on as far as um, them attacking you? Still okay, and and you know what, and I thank you for for rearing me back into focus. That's I really do because it's a lot, like I said, of information. Um, I, I want to bring something really uh, uh, or up to you on this because I think you might find this inter- interesting for the question. The way I got out, so to speak, as far as what we were talking about earlier and getting out of the situations and stuff, I actually had applied for a job online that was on um, federally protected land because, and the way that it was federally protected is because it was national uh, land and we had wild mustangs where it was at. So it was considered an area that inhabited indigenous animals as well as animals that were on extinction list and protected lists. So when I got this job 20 plus years ago, I actually was one of the first people who did online employment. I made sure and I was at the point of where I was being abused, so on and so forth. But I got online. I started searching out jobs online. I found this really cool network that gave allowances for people to start looking at jobs at resorts, at tourism place, so on and so forth. They did seasonal hiring. They did so, you know, and the housing, the room, the board, everything was taken care of. And I went, I'm going to have a home. I'm going to have a place to lay my head. I'm going to have a place where I have money and resources. I have to work where I live. I have to earn money where I live, and I have to do this job where I live. But at least I get to get out away from the people who are abusing me. So I actually protected in the first place. I didn't go to – I had already, oddly enough, I already been working for one of the largest national organizations as far as um, battered women's shelter. I was, at the time, at 19 years old, I was actually teaching parents – parenting skills and helping them with a program called ORF, which was adopting new studies into how we could help uh, single parents who were in abusive situations regain their confidence and get them into the workforce again. So when I left, I left going out to this area. I was completely protected because there was only one way in, one way out type of thing. When I then started uh, exploring the area and then decided to change as far as uh, work career and move into another city, so to speak, somewhere nearby, then my insurance carrier was changed to my area of address where I was at, and then that's when the targeting happened. And the first one, when that hit, I wasn't able to walk for six and a half years. I had to go through therapy. I had four and a half inches of swollen uh, spinal cord in my in the diameter of my spinal cord. Uh, it wasn't an option for me to say, let me get away from the family because, again, we weren't tracking by identifiers like social media. 
So how these people had my information was was very basic. Hey, Bob, you know who Jane is? Sure do. Well, do you happen to know where my kid's address is? She doesn't seem to have her telephone on. You, you happen to have that information in your office there? Sure thing. Give me one second, Bob. And then that's all it is. That's literally all it takes, even still to this day. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of point that out because I have tried. Um, I have lived out in the reservations before. I've lived out on reservations for an entire year where I, the, literally the only time I spoke to humans was long enough to, for me to go and get the food that I needed at the grocery store, come back, and then I was literally off the grid from anyone. I've lived in homestead areas where I'm completely off the grid. And yes, those are about the only times that I have kind of a, a, a sense of normalcy and peace for a short minute. But my thing is that I've got other things I have to do that requires and gives, like, I don't feel like I should have to be suppressed. I don't feel like I should have to go and change my name. The only reason I want to change my name is number one, I don't want this scarlet letter on me for the people who are my abusers. If you were a man in a woman who were in a situation romantically and you had the name of the person who abused you, of course you would want their name off of you. But yet as children, they don't even give us an okay of like, wow, you guys came from this. We're going to let you take your biological name back or we're going to help you get your name back. They don't say, hey, when this person's released from prison, we're going to make sure that you guys are aware of this so that your child is going to be in a safe place of protection. They don't tell us this stuff. They don't give us this information. And you know what? A rapist, a, a man who's abusing a woman and beating a woman versus the man who goes into uh, 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 prison because he's got nine years of child ab abuse on him and they end up giving him three years, he ends up getting off with good behavior in a year and a half while the guy who's actually the one who's abusing another adult by choice and they have choices to get in and out of those relationships in a much easier way than a child does, they actually get the notification saying this stuff, but yet we don't. So we're constantly in a place of vulnerability because we always have that Again, we're susceptible to them tracking us. And uh, like I said, escaping them, you know, I've tried having a sense of normalcy. I was so excited when I got to the place and, and where I was at thinking like, yes, this is awesome. You know, I can start my own life. Nobody's going to have to know my family name because they've got some pool. And if I said my name, honest to God, if I did something that was of criminal behavior, all I had to do is say who I was and the police would let you go. Like that's literally the level of nepotism that we were all groomed from where I'm at. So if the quarterback raped the cheerleader, she would be gone for nine months. Nobody would say anything about it. All of a sudden she shows back up. Everybody's happy again. That's very normal behavior where I grew up on, grew up at. And that's not, um, oddly enough, that's not just myself. There's people all around the nation who can honestly attest to this. And, uh, so getting back to escaping them, I have always tried to keep a positive meter in what it is that I'm doing. But, you know, the reality of it is, is that I can either live close to them as far as the area where the point of origin is. But you have to understand there's people who are, again, seated through generations of this. So I can be on either coast and find that there's going to be a, an area where sometimes I can easily get targeted. I mean, I've been hit in five to six different states. That's not by just chance. <laughs> six hit and runs. That's not, and one, and one was an actual flat line. That was number seven. So that's not, and I actually, on my driving record, I don't even have an accident that's behind me. 
So I had been going to school initially uh, doing criminal justice. I was on the fir- in the first class of online students as far as the United States was concerned, and I was ranked in the top 13 as far as being selected to go into the FBI Academy on national and international meters. And all of that was completely thrown out in the, this opportunity um, because I had to set my entire life aside. I was going to be in, doing a lot of things with my life that I would have loved to have done. My own father has been able to, the person who raised me, he has enough pull with what he's done that he was able to hide all of my credits as far as the university was concerned. And all I had to do was finish out another semester and I would have had what I needed. When I went to Arizona to go and finish out the classes that were acquired, and went back to call on my university. They have no record trace or anything as far as that's concerned. So you can understand how I can identify with a person whose husband or or wife or whatever has issues with them working a job and working out of the house, so on and so forth. And yet the person who is supposed to be my father has suppressed any kind of potential that I could have simply by me having that simple little accolade, validating that I have an education, validating that I have worth. This is a massive meter in which none of us are covered. And yet if it were domestic violence, we would all identify and say, my God, that man's so controlling, that woman's so controlling, but yet no one stands up as children for us with this. <laughs> so I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I have a little bit of um, of uh, upset, if anything, because these are no-brainer things and we're not protecting our kids, but yet we'll protect our adults. And yet the, the value of, of laws that are written have literally been in accordance to being able to keep those who have done these abuses protected. And yet those of us who are the victims trying to be the survivors, all it's done is like literally suppressed us. Um, and so when you ask me getting away, I get away mentally um, by creativity. I have been a musician. I play over 25 different instruments. That was one thing that we were very much so polished to do. Uh, we were put on a platform where we had recitals and we had to perform for the adults. We did concerts. We did shows. We did songs. Very, uh, not very much so often the sound of music. Um, uh we played the parts that were needed based on what the family and those people in their organization wanted us to pronounce. So if we needed to be athletes, again, if we needed to be uh, valued as far as the liberal arts, the theater, the, if we needed to have uh, speech, which would be indicative towards things that would help foster uh, religious, we were all groomed to have value in that. And like I said, you can take every single one of us from where I am. You can take every single one of us who have uh, articulate means and have education and turn right back around and go, wow, this person knows how to live off the land too. So they groomed us with, like I said, with that kind of intention, understanding how to make certain cuts on animals all the way down. Like some of my first memories on how they were doing things to us. And I was just talking about this last night is uh, a game that we would play is that they would have the children make bullets and and I know that sounds really strange and completely off topic, but a gentleman had been speaking to me about, you know, abuses. And I said, well, there's, I said, it's kind of frightening because right now our alcoholism is, has spiked up and people buying alcohol. And now we've got guns being, being considered an essential business. I don't quite understand it. And then we started talking about it. Well, in my lifetime at three, four years old, after we would have, you know, 
church, there would be pizza parties and the kids would go down into the basement and we would be given tasks to do. And while we're having pizza parties and the adults are having meetings, we would be in a in the basement area, furnished basement area, so not some, you know, deep, dark, you know, crazy area or anything like that. But they would give us uh, these bullet points and we would actually pack them, screw the tops on and then give them to the bigger kids. And then the bigger kids would finish out the rest of the details to it. So why I'm bringing this up is that um, this is a very good understanding for you to to understand the level of of what kind of organization and organizations in which we do deal with. Um, I'm just I literally where we're from, where we're at in this whole area. That's the headquarters of the clan, um, and it's very much so known. So trafficking again, when they're bringing out this issue and they're trying to explain it to be something that's of ethnicity and it has something to do with values of ethnicity. When we talk about migratory behaviors, I'm not talking about that on an ethnic or race valued meter. We've got plenty of Caucasians who are living underneath that good loincloth, looking and presenting themselves as the good Samaritan and as the good person with that disposition, the helpful man in the congregation, the helpful family woman in the congregation. We've got people who are in education. This is really, it's genuinely true. And to say, can you get away from them? Again, I absorbed myself in art. I created a brand. um, And in the brand that I created while I was literally out and not able to walk because of the damages that had been done to me. I was doing art on my cell phone, creating art as far as drawings, whatever I could do. And eventually what I did is I said, I've got to find something to move this. None of these organizations are helping me. None of these people that I talk to are helping me. And I'm literally being directed to some main heads as far as this is concerned, and they don't have an answer for me. So what I've tried to do is create a brand. I created a clothing line, kids gear, skateboards, guitar cases, you name it, shoes. I've got handmade shoes that come over from Italy that are all personally designed. And any revenue that I can stream from that, I try to use that however I can to start building the next step. And my next step in this is I have three different tiers and not to, again, get into a much bigger thing, but what I'm trying to do to help with what you're talking about as I want to use that revenue, I want to use your platform, I want to use my platform, however I can to speak out, to make people understand that this is very real. This isn't something that you get to just relax for the day. I, I can't tell you the last time I've just had that relax. Now I will meditate, I do exercises, as that's something that is always in my who I am because I am an athlete. I have permanent damage. It's mandatory for my body to stay in motion and exercise. So it's just healthy for me as well. Um, I do poetry. I write songs. Um, I, you know, I use more so the creative outlets, but I resource that through a, a business side and hopefully not only being able to bring awareness, but just simply days I don't want to talk about any of this. Sometimes I just get on one form of social media and I just try to do my advertisements. And through that, I say, hey, by the way, I made this really cool clothing design. I don't have a lot to offer you, but if you can do this, you'll get 10% of these earnings. If you need a job, if you need money on the table, I've got hundreds of thousands of images. There's no money to start this up. You guys just have to take a literally a URL link and put this out there. You guys get your earnings and get paid. I'm using my earnings to try to get what I need to on my end of it, which means I've got to come up with funds to change my name. That's $2,500 right there. 
Every time I get, every time you get your, or any time you get your name changed in the area that I'm at, the requirements of law is that you run an advertisement in the newspaper that says, which is crazy. The advertisement in the newspaper costs six hundred dollars a week to run, and it has to run for three weeks, on top of the twenty five hundred dollars for the lawyer, and you have to run that not once but three times altogether, which means you're operational three quarters of the year with this information in the newspaper and when they publish it they not only publish what your old name was they also publish what your new name is so how do i justify after going to social security saying listen i've had multiple identity thefts i've had this happen this is record of information how do i justice justify even spending twenty five hundred dollars to get my name changed which i i just don't want these people's names on my back because of what's happened but i i I would rather have my own name back anyway i didn't ask for this but nonetheless they have recommended because of the level of what's gone on to change my whole entire name and identity and yet how do i change my name and identity when I'm supposed to be a voice for so many other people. I don't want to suppress who I am. I'm not ashamed of who I am nor what I've gone through. What I'm what I'm in need of is a value to have some sort of accreditation behind what people assume is there when literally there aren't services here like this to help. And I've spoken with National Centers of Missing and Exploited Children. I've spoken with Child's Help, which is an organization that's a national organization based out of Arizona. I've spoken with Operation Underground Railroad. I've even sp- spoken with a mercenary named Craig the Salman Sawyer, who was a Navy SEAL, and he represents his own daughter, who is a survivor of rape, and they literally went after these people for convictions and for the intent. This isn't something that I've just been fostering overnight. I've been working seven years altogether um, from that, and I've been speaking out since 15 years old. So I, you know, I know people want to believe that they're, like I said, that there's services, but the reality of it is, is I can't ever fully escape my abuser because I don't have just an abuser. I have an entire community that networked with multiples across the nation to be able to successfully do this. And what a lot of people don't understand is that through time, we've literally manifested this to such a degree that half of the records that have now been typed into our systems were never even the true value of records. And so we've produced this information fraudulently. The state where my birth certificate comes from, just so you have an idea how leveled this is, the place that my birth certificate comes from is one of the most forward-thinking states in our entire nation. When they went to find me, they said, yes, we can validate that you are an original from where we are at. However, the people who got your information, they severed all your records, and we apologize. But all of that, it was sealed, which means we don't have any of that information any longer. So when I called the following state, who actually then took over, if you will, my birth certificate and my identity, we're talking about land and mineral rights that were in areas that had oil, minerals in which that were present, and I've never seen a dime of that, much less in this in our nation. If your parent is a parent who passes away and they've worked, you're supposed to, even if you're adopted, receive their Social Security. I've never even seen any of that. So this is, a, this is something that I guarantee there's going to be 
people who identify, but the sequence of informa- information, the methodology, people haven't yet fully correlated that because, again, this wasn't something that was seeded through um, displacement of organization. What was happening is that people were seeding the information that they wanted the organizations to have, and that's how so much of this information has been corrupted because, again, when a, a community can print out information and it's actually wrong and nobody ever gave it to them besides you know, the vital areas to do it. All it takes is literally changing a couple of letters on a form and it's done. So, you know? so before we end off our show, how can people help you and your organization? Is there a website they can go to or get in contact with you? Yeah, I mean, the organization, there is no organization. I am not uh, 501c3. I'm not a charity. I'm literally one person doing this. Um, My stream of revenue, as far as trying to do anything with it, uh, comes from kinkateecreations.com. So it's www.kinkateecreations.com. All that is, is just products, brands, for a brand line for clothing. I did not want to pigeonhole myself because I saw that happening when I went to try to do this from a philanthrop- uh, for the, from the philanthropical side as far as trying to do it with saying, hey, this is you know, the charity or this is the organization, but it's none of those things. This is just an outlet for me to try to sell some products online and for people who are in abusive situations sort of residual income that they can get on and do, you know, cross promotions and marketing that they can get those earnings. What I'm trying to do and what I would at the end of the day, what I would like to do is I want to get an entire network of people together who have the education, who have the accolades, who have the accreditation, who have the titles behind them, because it's not going to be I can be the poster child and the spokesperson for all of our days and we can all go blue in the face, but we're going to have to have people to represent who actually have the titles to be able to do this. And essentially what I want to do, if you'll just bear with me here, is there's three levels that I want to take this to. I first want to create a responsibility of what's called a uh, a reciprocities, a state reciprocity service. And what this is, is taking to the penal system that any people who are prosecuted as far as child offenses from pedophilia to child molestation that are held within segregations of the penal system from mainstream community, those people need to be working with 100% of their gratuities as far as what their earnings are going strictly to the state, which is going to be called a reciprocities fund is what I would like to do. The states aren't going to care because they're going to accrue interest on this. That reciprocities fund is then going to go and be out allocated not only to the victims and the survivors of these things. You know, a lot of parents, if their children get abused, they don't have insurance to cover them. You're talking years of therapy on this child. That's not funny for a parent to not be able to have the resources to do this, and people don't even realize that. So the reciprocities fund will come in through the state. The state can then distribute it appropriately. And again, the states are going to make money off of it. I'm sorry to make it sound crass and cavalier, but people like to profit for some reason, even off of negatives. So the only way you can get them to be, I guess, and content as far as an idea like this is exactly that. So they have earnings. Um, so the reciprocities fund then goes into holdings right there. It then gets allocated appropriately. And then anything that's the leftovers can be reallocated or allocated appropriately into services that the states will hold as far as these things are needed. Um, the second level of things is I, I want to take another tier of this and actually place that every single state in the nation is congruent. In some states, you have five different levels of rape. 
which rape is rape. It does not make a difference who you are. Rape is rape. But why in the world would you need five different levels of it? But yet you have two different levels of misdemeanor versus felony when it comes to controlled substance. That doesn't make any sense. So I would like our entire nation to have congruent laws that every single state are going to be prosecutable with the exact same things. We don't need to sit there and meet her and say, well, he only raped her for three weeks, but he molested that child for four months. Therefore, he's going to get two months in prison. It doesn't make sense. I don't care. And the reason why is because I myself, along with so many who have come out of these areas where we are connected states, these people jump the borders and people don't even realize that we have migratory behavior. So if you've abused somebody, we'll say in Kansas and you decide to go to Oklahoma, they're not going to track you for that. But if you go and have a child in Missouri and then you skip as a deadbeat dad and fly out to California, Missouri itself will literally come and track you and garnish your wages. That's just for being a deadbeat parent, but then they won't track you as far as it being for sexual abuses and predatory abuses on children. So I do want to come up with a law that actually has in our entire nation congruent, at which point we'll then take those things as the nation – and then we will set the same kind of congruent meters when it comes to international trafficking laws and abuses that happen. And then we can project from there. So I want that to happen. And then the third part of the tier is I would like to come up with an app with people who understand what the developmental side is. I've worked with Thorne before as far as understanding of what they've done. I've done some support efforts and, and things like that, um, which I'm 100% in favor of as far as what they're doing when it comes to cyber trafficking. But I would like to develop an app that gives our CPS, which is Children's Protective Services, our legal resources, um, and then our um, our education services, a meter of being able to understand the value as to what's going on. Our teachers are the first point of contact, if you will, for children when it comes to abuses. They only have these kiddos in school for about six months. So you've got three months to six months to read if a child comes from abuse. It doesn't necessarily mean legal has ever stepped in, a CPS worker, or anybody else. It just means as a teacher, you're seeing some behaviors that are are a little bit conflicting with what you're seeing and you want to get in there to help that child. Those records should be valuable to any persons who are working with that child. And we need to know that if this child and their parents decide or anybody else decides to pick them up and because they've been hassled, if you will, from one school, that they can go to another county or another state neighboring by and put that. People don't understand that's migratory behavior. Sociopaths who go out and serial killers who go out, we notice this behavior because they actually hunt and they have a predatory means in which they typically will stay within a certain uh, spectrum, if you will. They may move from one end of the country to the other, but there's some sort of formula of dynamic that has resemblance to the first point of origin to where these things have happened. So when we look at migratory behavior and people moving like this, we actually do see the same thing. It's just nobody has explored the side of it yet. And so I want to create an app that has in, you know, if we can be in one state to the other and, and the officers can pull up a speeding ticket on you and say, hey, I see you have a speeding ticket here type of thing. We have the resources. We're just not housing them correctly and appropriately in the sense. So essentially, I want to go to the penal system and I want to do that reciprocities uh, setup module. I want to be able to bring in a congruent laws across the nation as far as what we're looking at as far as any abuses and any harms on not only children, but also adults and how we're handling these things. We need to have more organizations that are present understanding, hey, we get the immediacy of aftermath of the trafficking. What about those of us who are now living as survivors and those people who have trafficked 
trafficked us. We already know that they go after us as gang members and as violators from that perspective and, and people who have been running us as traffickers because we, we cost them more money and we can expose too much. But the reality of it is, is what do you do when these people have a normal sense of life, have a nice household, present themselves to a community like they're good people, go to church just like everybody else? It's a contrast, and people don't want to accept that the people who look the part are the bad guys versus the people who are doing that. So when when you go to look for cult organizations, I believe that there's right now there's only like three to seven different organizations that are out there. A person like myself and the other people I've spoken to through some social media where there's a level of comfort to be open, none of us are confident in reporting to those particular court organiz- cult organizations and what's online because, number one, they're not vetted. There's no better business bureau to validate if these people are legitimate. And in all fairness, most of us have already been on a list that started at churches by us being part of the congregation. So we've already been you know, privy to list making from get-go. So we're nervous, and I speak for a lot of people in this respect that I've had this conversation with, we're nervous to even talk to those things that look like cult organizations because as far as we know, those may be people who just set up that site for us as the people who are getting away from these things to then give our names give our information and everything else. And you have to understand when you have the understanding that it's no longer of, oh my gosh, they might know what state I live in. And all you have to do is track an IP address. And that literally focuses in exactly where you are. That's a very uncomfortable space to be in. And no one, like I said, protects us. So we've been left out here in survival mode. And it's not to say I haven't you know, I haven't thrived in some ways, but uh, me trying to do something like what I'm trying to do, I want to take those monies that I have and I want, you know, and I haven't, honest to God, in these last five years, I've had hackings. I lost 130,000 as far as images that were gone. I started in 2017 trying to do the images and doing the products and stuff. And I literally had to, after being hacked and all the damages done to the site, um, as well as my vendors and everything else, I was only able to relaunch in 2020. And that was the actual full value. So I can't tell you how much money in that respect that I lost because of those things happening, potential earnings, if you will. And what, like I said, what I would like to do is, you know, I've got to get the things changed as far as my own personal stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be the one who's living in shame. And if it's over just a simple name, obviously you can tell I'm, I, I speak out. I don't want to be the person who is left in a place of suppression because these people don't want to validate the responsibilities of just simply not finding, following the guidelines to not only their, their laws that are written, but the statute of limitations laws that are presented, the fact that the crimes that are there and present, and just nobody wants to – they just don't want to take responsibility because there's just so many people who have been invested into this for as long as they have, and this is going to destroy not only families – that were involved with it from the get-go, but this also intertwines their their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, six generations that walked this nation. And when I say that, I'm like I said, I really sincerely mean it. There is a point of origin, but this happened across the nation. Well, uh, Randy, uh, I want to thank you for being on the show today and sharing your story and speaking your truth today. And absolutely. Thank you for giving me a, a safe space to do so. <laughs> and uh, you're welcome. And for everyone else out there who is listening, I hope you have a good night.